Do we have the luxury to exist in one discipline? Or is the grand connectivity of all a new concept? Some would call that multidisciplinarianism. I am Misha Maseka, an opera singer turned filmmaker and writer existing, living, and creating in a small prairie city that offers a way of life more conducive to doing it all. Are working artists without the luxury of financially sustaining their lives with one focus doing too much? Or are they, in fact, doing it all? And I wonder. Salima Stanley Banji, lawyer, advocate, filmmaker, and mother. After leaving private legal practice in 2008, she landed in the storytelling space, amplifying the voices of people who are underrepresented and have intersectional identities. She exists in a multitude, a TEDx speaker and coach, co-founder of Calgary's annual Empathy Week, the 2021 recipient of Calgary's Influential Women in Business Social Enterprise Award, an avid marathon runner and global citizen growing up in Australia and having lived in India, New Zealand, Peru, Canada. It is apparent through her experiences and ethos of empathy, creativity, accountability, self-awareness, and unknowingness may be the secret to doing it all. Alia Aluma, an award-winning artist, designer, and writer existing in the philanthropic and creative industries. She has lived, worked, and studied all over the world with opportunities in the fashion and fine art networks of Hong Kong, as a muralist in Italy, fashion photographer in England, a creative director, curator, and designer in Calgary. Aliyah has been a guest instructor and mentor in her fields of study, art history, communications, commerce, film, and world culture. And in all of this, she gives back, starting the Aluma Foundation with her father and twin brother, which is a scholarship foundation in Uganda for students. Two artists and leaders doing a lot, or simply just doing. I sit with these two women to talk advocacy, navigating visibility, and the importance and responsibility of authentic storytelling. Thank you for inviting me to I this have, office. I have a different office every single week. I like love to do just like a check-in at the beginning so like mind body heart how are you how are you feeling <laughs> um mind queer mm. heart excited full of love i'm mm -hmm. going on a trip at the end of the week so i'm very excited right now you're going to argentina right yes and then also to brazil for a bit excited happy mm -hmm. yeah it's it's been a while since i've uh, done something like this such a cool setup you have here mm -hmm. um a little jittery just you know getting through the day and getting everything done and getting here but yeah good you are someone who is what is the word i'm looking for you you exist in sort of like uh a multi a multi a multi a multi not a, a multiverse <laughs> No. A Marvel verse, no, um, Marvel a multiverse. I this, do feel like a superhero today, this particularly really today, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You are a superhero. I mean, you are a superhero in the way that you know you're 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 someone who I would describe as like a wonder kid, right? A wonder kid. Um, I mean, that's what you would it. say. Yeah, accept it. Okay. Yeah. Um, on it. Actually, first of all, can you give me advice? Because I have just recently allegedly become a CEO. Please tell me. <laughs> Tell me and tell other people. <laughs> tell me, thank you. I've I've been trying to like avoid the word multidisciplinary, but let's go there. Mm. Let's go there. Um, 
in terms of uh, who you are and how you kind of exist in the world. And I know that it's so funny because, okay, so one thing that I do is, you know, I'll forward you questions. I forward my guest questions Mm -hmm. um, about like, and I kind of just ask you like, what do you want to talk about? Because Aaliyah is a very smart cookie. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, she's very smart. Um, She has a lot of incredible, beautiful things to say about a lot of things. Um, so I kind of just posed the question and, and, and made a few offers. And I was like, let's talk about multidisciplinarianism. <laughs> and to which she responded, that's boring or something like that. <laughs> and I laughed because I was like, oh, okay, work. Why? Why for you is sort of the notion and concept of multidisciplinarianism, specifically in art? So multidisciplinarianism is, to me, this this new... Like people treat it like it's this new term, like it's this new idea right. that if you're able to be multidisciplinary, you're, I don't know, you're breaking barriers, you're changing conversations, mm. you can do all of these different things without realizing that that's kind of just been the consequence of humans for a very long time. And that's most definitely been the consequence of women existing since like the it. beginning of time. Yeah. And I think that what we're missing when we talk about multidisciplinarism is the fact that our ancestors, indigenous cultures, like the grand connectivity of everything was a part of foundational cultures that built everything. Mm. And then colonialism, Western thought, metaphysics came in and broke everything down into these little tiny sections. And we had like the breakdown to like the very, like the cell, the atom, you know, like the smallest thing so that we can understand all of these things as separate mm-hmm. to really understand how they work together, how they contribute to one another. And what that did is that as a consequence, we all now believe that there's just like there are these just these facets right if you go into science you're just doing science if you go into math you're just doing math and everything is so far apart that it's like we're reclaiming this idea and bringing in multidisciplinarism and showing we can do it all but in doing that it's kind of like we're forgetting that it already existed it already started somewhere Mm. we're using colonial language to reclaim something that was broken down by colonial structures and that's why multidisciplinarism bothers me because like in history, women would be working and they would be like, they'd be working, taking care of gardens, they'd be taking care of children, they'd be teaching children, they'd be doing all of these different things. And it wasn't, oh, this multidisciplinary like, feat. It was just how they live, right? Existence, it was consequence. And so the idea that we're building and doing all these different things and all these things are connected, it's like it's foundational thought. It's how we got to where we are, mm. right? So that's why that term bothers me. So let's just me. do away with the with, with the with the term. <laughs> like I think that multidisciplinarianism is great, and that we're recognizing it and like returning to it. It's just the term. I kind of also hate this question, especially when it's asked to women. Like, how do you balance it all? I think ultimately, like this, you know, being in leadership and being a woman and being in the creative industries um, and being a, you know, a black woman or a woman of color, mm-hmm. um, you know, these are like exciting times and um, so much opportunity, challenges still, but also like a lot of creative opportunities. And, and um, I, I think when you're passionate about something, it can mm-hmm. be easy to like run away with it, take on like more than you can handle. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, that question of like, how do you do it all? I think for me, one of the big things is like, how can I actually like not do it all mm. and take on less and like create more space in my life so that I can like show up better and be more present and more receptive. It, you know, when we 
have space Mm -hmm. and moments where we're actually like doing nothing and not being productive and like just reconnecting I think it really opens us up for big things Mm -hmm. and for people to maybe appear just like walking down the street that you didn't notice or an idea to like you know come up in your head or um, a conversation to arise that you might not have invited otherwise yes it seems like you know reading your resume you've lived this like very sort of full international life and with a lot of really really incredible experiences and what is like fascinating to me um in the people that i like talk to is i'm just like and here you are existing in a city like calgary so like how why here why now but also the beginnings you're a lawyer and now you are you know co-founder of this like lovely beautiful production house that tells stories well thank you yeah and yeah beginnings like i might just like take it way back to take it way back way back way back and, and i think that you know i always had the creative um you know i, I think all humans are inherently creative mm-hmm. and a lot of like that creativity is often like stripped away you know um through like that sort of conditioning and such But um, for me, I think one of like my first experiences of like real joy and almost like liberation in a sense was through dance. When I was growing up, um, if I was doing good in school, I remember when I was, I think I was 12 when I painted my first mural Mm -hmm. and people bullied me for it. They're like, oh my God, of course. So I never had positive. Your first mural publicly. Yes. Can you just say that again? My first mural you were 12 12 years old and you were nine when you were published right like the first time you were published you were you were seven but people bullied me for it my whole life do you know what i mean and then i came here so i had no idea how to handle praise and i had no idea like being magnificent no that's not what i'm saying (laughs) no i know don't talk about it no 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 but yeah it was just a struggle and when you never have positive reinforcement you know or like yeah you're you don't really learn to do things or i guess it felt like maybe here I had to do things for other people. Whereas like my entire life, if I was doing it, it was kind of like, this is something that matters to me. This is something I care about. Mm -hmm. People are going to make fun of me. People are going to be rude to me. That's the consequence of it. But what I think I'm doing is great. But then all of a sudden you get positive reinforcement and then people like expect things from you or they expect more Then it becomes like, like you're working for other people and you're no longer working for yourself and then you're working for the opinions of other people. Whereas if you're only getting negative opinions, I feel like those are easier to filter out. I see. Because that's what I was used to. And as a kid, I was pretty sick and I had like suffered from a lot of asthma. Um, I wasn't really very physically able. And then when I began to dance, it was just like something that came so naturally to me and it felt so empowering. And so later in life, Um, just the year before I applied to law school, I actually applied to dance school. Oh, wow. (laughs) And, um, but I didn't get into the program I applied for and it was a choreographic sort of um, focus. And so I was really interested in that kind of like creation and direction aspect Mm -hmm. um, of artistic projects, but got taken another route, you know, a little bit of a roundabout route. Um, which, you know, I'm very grateful for. I think a lot of like the skills and training that I got through law school and in my time practicing law, you know, are valuable. Mm -hmm. And and one of the big reasons I went 
in that direction too, was just as someone who was a woman and who was younger and, um, you know, given like my racial heritage, mm -hmm. I, I just felt like, you know, somewhat overlooked. And at the same time, like I could contribute so much. And I felt like by getting a law degree, I would sort of get, you know, really find a level of credibility that mm -hmm. I, I couldn't access um, with some of the ways I identified at that stage in life. I'm interested in a lot of things, but mm -hmm. one of the things that I'm interested in, in the context of art, artists, content creation, like all of these things, right, is this like, I'm going to use the word need because not everybody necessarily feels this way, but sort of the need mm -hmm. to be visible. Mm -hmm. And like for you, who is who is someone that has chosen like, I can't say this word today because, you know, I'm drunk. Um, and a mini mini. Yes, <laughs> and right, a mini. Yes. Yeah, thank yeah, you. That one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding, everyone. That is a joke. It's called a callback. <laughs> I don't I don't know I struggle with it too yes, no. yeah 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 but you know you've mm -hmm. you've chosen you've you've sort of chosen or or prefer kind of a life that is a little bit more invisible mm -hmm. but work in spaces that encourage visibility let's say mm -hmm. so I mean what's that like right now currently because you know nothing nothing is nothing's the same so in five years I... you might change your mind I'm yeah. hoping you do this year have made it one of my goals or priorities to get used to being more visible yeah and you'll remember when we were working on on queendom and i was Shout just out. like sick for days because i was like oh no people can't see me nobody can know my name i don't want to be in any pictures and yes and then i was just i was like so sick at the film premiere that i couldn't even stand straight because i was so nervous oh i do remember that yeah. and also just for some context for the people um the people listening and watching Supporters. uh queendom was a, a a a multitude of amazing beautiful things um centered around black women there was a documentary there was pictures Aaliyah took the pictures mm -hmm. um of uh, lovely, beautiful, millennial black women in the prairies. And then it kind of snowballed into so many lovely um, things. But yes, there was a premiere and you were, yeah, sick to your stomach to like either nervous. smile on stage. Yes. Yeah. And so visibility. Yes. That was not, that has not always been the case. When I was younger, I was in theater for many years mm -hmm. and I did a lot of things that were very visible. I played sports. I did all of these things where there were always crowds, always people watching me. Um, but there was a shift of something, like something really happened in my first few years of university. And I think what it was, and I don't know, this is, this is going to be deep, mm -hmm. but Love that. I grew up in Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan, as you know, and in that entire city, in my entire upbringing, um, from kindergarten until grade 11, Besides my my twin brother, I did not meet another mixed race black person. Wow. Like my whole life went by almost, my whole young life, and I didn't meet anyone. And I also, we lived in a, like in a situation in the community in the school where we were the only black kids mm -hmm. in the room for a long time. And because of that, I was... I don't know, I was treated really differently than I was treated when I moved here. And um, 
I was obviously like bullied, you know, as happens. Mm -hmm. And when you're like bullied because of what you look like and when you're growing up, I think that's something that happens. You or a lot of people go into some sort of like theater or something that where they can act a different role. They can be all of these different things. And I think that was a consequence of that. But then I came here and something happened that I had never experienced before. And I really hope that this doesn't sound like egotistical or something. But I was here and for the first time in mm-hmm. my own life, somebody who was not my like mother told me that I was beautiful. Mm. And that messed me up. And I know that it's such a weird thing to say and people just don't seem to understand it. But I became like super visible. Like when I was growing up, right. nobody even cared that I was like around. Nobody was looking. Nobody was giving me any attention unless they thought I was going to steal something in the grocery store, you know. So it was a very different kind of treatment. But then yeah. here you become visible in a way that people – want to like want it do you know what I mean like they yeah. want to like spend time with it or like everyone's like oh like let me take a photo of you let me do this let me do that and I couldn't which I is couldn't what's interesting it. about I mean again anchoring it back to this like series as a whole I think that's what's interesting about certain spaces and places like Calgary yeah. where it's it's it there's this weird sort of like people are like Calgary Alberta Mm-hmm. conservatism rednecks oil gas yes. but then there's these beautiful experiences that a lot of yeah artists have where you kind of feel part of like I don't know this motley crew or yeah yeah so the attention that came and everything that came just like barreled in like the mm-hmm. projects that I was working on the things that I was doing it was just like full force and it was just too much like it was really intense really fast yeah We live in a world where people are multitudes. I identify as trans, transgender, lesbian. Queer comes to mind. My most authentic self. I'm a proud trans woman. I'm strong. Your series under the umbrella we met, when I read that I audibly was like, aww, because it's just such a romantic sentiment to me anyway like I I read sort of the title the title of that docuseries and was really intrigued and watched a couple of them so I'm just really interested in like why that title what does that sentiment mean Under an Umbrella We Met yeah uh, is a, a short film series and the idea was that people could step into the actual worn shoes of the person in the film while watching the film. So Mm. we set up these like stations and we actually right here in Calgary, we've done a bunch of like different installs, like even like City Hall and um, up at the U of C and a bunch of different places. And so, um, you know, it's funny like now in like post-COVID times when you talk about like stepping Stepping into someone else's actual shoes that they wore, people are just like, really? (laughs) But I swear people did do it and um, put the headset on, watch the film. And um, and we actually had these sort of umbrellas, like these really colorful umbrellas set up over top of the the tablet and Mm -hmm. the shoes and everything. But, But the concept came from a place in Amman in Jordan where there's a stairwell in the sort of city area with all of these hanging umbrellas and it's Mm -hmm. beautiful. It's a colorful, warm, like friendly feeling. And we took a lot of photographs on that stairwell of some of the film subjects who are part of that series. 
and it just kind of the image of it stuck with me. Mm. And I guess there's like an intimacy in thinking of like eating underneath an umbrella. Totally, like intimacy, a hundred percent was what I yeah, thought of when I. Yeah. And and we wanted to create that intimacy with someone like stepping into the shoes, watching the film. These were short, short films, but they were really about like illuminating that individual's human experience. And um, so yeah, that's we, we after that first series, we focused on people who uh, identified as Muslim. The second series was Alberta Indigenous youth focused. And then the third series was on people who identify with non-conforming genders. When we look at some of the key qualities of activism, we also see similar qualities of propaganda. And I'm not saying that propaganda is like an awful, terrible thing. Right. But um, it's the ability to influence the masses. It's the mm. ability to communicate to a bunch of people effectively and quickly and to convince them of something. And a common tool and one of the most effective tools throughout history in propaganda and in activism has been visual representation. Because if you see something, like if even if it's just like a clip of a video, you don't necessarily need to know what there what is being said if there is an ex a dialogue exchange. So we get rid of language barrier. Or if we have a poster that is a collection of visual elements, again, we are breaking down language barrier and we're translating some sort of message with something visual. And when we think about artists, we typically think that artists are creating visual representations. They're putting something into the world that we're going to look at. And yes, contemporary art does challenge that in different ways where we feel things, see things, hear things, smell mm -hmm. things. But still, a lot of these things that we're interacting with don't necessarily need language unless the artist themselves is like particularly using a, like a, a component of language. But um, it's a way to communicate to people bigger ideas, grander issues, things that are going on that might be difficult to understand or hard to talk about. And we're doing it in a way that allows everybody to meet it without these conventional barriers, mm -hmm. I guess. And then there's also things that you can consider in visual communication, like things that we know will influence people. Like we bring in color theory or um, there are deeper theories into this. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of prismatic ecology. Tell us about it, Aliyah. <laughs> it's essentially this idea that we, like the way we've constructed everything in society, the way, you know, like we have, We've decided that this couch is a couch because that is the like function of language and then we sit on it and right. that's how we use it and essentially we do the same thing with colors whether or not we realize it and like this idea that like green like for is example, like healthy i was gonna or, say like, or you know, wearing all black you're in mourning exactly i'm not in mourning but you know <laughs> we have these different ideas and they've become so pervasive in society that it can actually be understood everywhere and so when we think about the the elements of visual communication and how easy it is to communicate something with just a few colors and like mm. juxtaposing shapes and images and bringing all this together and how we can influence people artists do come do become quite responsible in what they are communicating and when an artist grows prominent or um, does something defiant like we think like street artists yeah right like Banksy. Banksy nowadays especially in the last like you know three years I think that there is a lot of visibility on activism and advocacy in a way that maybe there wasn't 10 years ago 15 years ago um and there's also kind of like that thing of like you know social media is a beautiful thing and then also like the worst thing in the way that so much there's so much like 
internet noise sometimes. And it's like, are we really actually doing anything? What does this, um, you know, what is reposting something actually going to do? Um, what is telling this person's story actually going to do to like, you know, um, make a change? And like, I sort of use the, the, the example of you hiking, not in sort of a negative way, but like for you, how has been like, how has, how has the journey of, ad, of advocacy, allyship, like, and the nuance of that? Yeah, I think, um, you know, it's never easy. And even just personally, like, you know, showing up as an ally yeah. in different spaces, for me, it's like challenging, you know, how to get that right, how to, how to make sure that, you know, you're not showing up in like a half-hearted or performative way. Like, right. Um, you know, and I work in this area and I, I think that's not, you know, easy or straightforward for anyone. Um, and, and also, you know, being on the receiving end sometimes of uh, people's complaints because, you know, when you talk about the center and that theory, some people don't want to move out of the center and create right. space for other people. Yeah. And when we're trying to provide opportunities for people, you know, on the, on the periphery margins, yeah. to come into the center. Um, people who've historically been in that position uh, of being centered, you know, may often be disgruntled about it, right? And, and we have definitely experienced that when we have been outwardly providing opportunities for people who identify a certain way to come to the center. So that's tiring, honestly, and upsetting to me and something that, you know, we do deal with in the work mm -hmm. um, that I do with humanology. Um, and at the same time, I think um, while sometimes you do need to like disconnect and take a bit of a mental health break, I think what's definitely very reassuring about the work that I do is that I know it's meaningful and mm. I know it matters. Mm -hmm. And even though it's like just like this tiniest piece of the puzzle, you know, um, it's not like we are, you know, turning over the whole you know system like you know at once by ourselves mm -hmm. we're just like this tiny little piece right like mm -hmm. doing our bit so yeah i yeah. think I, I, I and and so you know for me being allies is so important because we can't expect other people who you know have a certain lived experience where they, you know, have been discriminated against or oppressed or haven't experienced certain privileges, we can't expect them to be taking on the burden right. of all of the work, you know? Right. And, and that too has been one of the things that I've heard a lot in the space of the last couple of years. Oh, but I'm not this or I'm not that. I don't identify that way. I don't have that lived experience, so I, I can't do that. Right. It's like, no, no, you have to do that because you can't expect for the people who've been subject um, to all, you know, all of the things they've been subject to to also be the ones on their own to fight against it. Right. So Web3. Who's saying that? <laughs> Web3. If you were to break it down, uh -huh. again, in, in the space of sort of creativity and artists and, and how it's it's potentially being used by artists um, for for the how do I say this about being canceled for the people yes. for the people with brains that work like mine please break it down um, 
break it down for us. Like Web three, what does what is this relationship? Artists, mm-hmm. all the things. Say the things. So. I know that people still regard me as some sort of NFT expert. That is not the case. Right. Didn't I, you do a TEDx talk on certain things about? I did a TEDx talk about renegotiating human rights to consider access to technology so that we don't have misplaced people anymore. Did that? Ha- did you mention <laughs> Web3? I mentioned the decentralized web. Yes. yes. Okay. So Web3 so is essentially did. just a decentralized space, right? Uh-huh. Where... Um, Right now, everything that you do on the internet, like somebody owns it. Somebody owns your data. Your data goes through different systems. Right. Um, Like there's like all of these different people who control what you do. Essentially, your data can be completely censored, turned off, all that stuff. You have to pay for access to like all of these things are happening right right now. Yeah. And it's because you don't have control over your own data. Like you sign a little contract every time you make an account on something for somebody to rip your entire soul away, which is actually, you know, sometimes benefits us because targeted ads we get what we want right but, right right banksy um, banksy no just, never mind <laughs> yes yes <laughs> yes wow um but the decentralized web essentially means that nobody owns it it's controlled by the people who use it mm-hmm. and so um artists are taking advantage of that and being able to do something really neat and advantageous in that space is use nft technology which just means non-fungible token which is just a really fancy way of saying a smart contract which right. smart contracts have existed for a very long time in and the, what does the that mean scheme of the internet's age a smart contract is just a digital contract it's something that can't be tampered with changed altered and it exists digitally mm-hmm. like an adobe sign could be considered a, a smart, smart contract. contract okay so a non-fungible token means that it can't be altered can't be changed and it supposedly lives forever something that i do want to stress to a lot of artists they think that if they like make an artwork it is the nft that's not the case it is still a web-based um function so you make like a url and you embed that url into the smart contract and that is what the person gets so if that web address dies if you make that in a space that expires or whatever that actual thing is gone. All of that is very, what is the word that I'm looking for? Interesting. Exciting, interesting. Yes. Because Thank I you. feel like a lot of people throw away, you know, crypto this, crypto that, NFT this, and NFT that. And I mean, to have it broken down as simply as that, I feel like I was following. I don't know. I think, but I think, so I think that artists were really important in this technology so i think that like all of the different cryptocurrencies all of these different things they're probably going to fade and fizzle out that's like the consequence of yeah. mass ingested things right they grow really big and then survival of the fittest and trends and all of this but um and just like the fluctuation in value it's really going to impact the, what excites the you about it right now i don't know if anything about it excites me actually <laughs> you're like i don't get excited about I, anything yeah i anything. feel very little elation in life but I think that what's interesting about artists, mm-hmm. when I always say like the responsibility of the artist is this new technology has actually been like legitimized by mm. artists, right? So like cryptocurrency existed for years beforehand, but it was used mostly for like a lot of illegal things. And then it kind of struggled to gain like actual value, which is mm-hmm. why there was such a big thing when there was like, this blow up and this like 4,000% inflation because there was nothing to purchase with cryptocurrency. And so artists figured out a way to utilize this technology to embed royalties and like have constant, um, just like have like a a computer system essentially do all of these things that really lousy managers weren't doing or Mm. like mitigate all of these like thefts and like the copycats and like all of these things. Like they were able to use technology 
to solve that problem. Talk a little bit, yeah. well, the question that I, I want to okay. ask, like within sort of what humanology's mandate is, um, I mean, your focus on sort of promoting empathy and, 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 and highlighting, uh, you know, invisible places, people, spaces is so beautiful. Um, what, and, and, and here we are, you know, in a city that is, I mean, how, how do you even describe this place, right? But like, what, what has that journey been like navigating, like how to build em empathy within the community? Like, what are some of the challenges and like, what has surprised you kind of about that journey specifically in like promoting empathy and, and kind of like building that into this community? So I would like to think of empathy as really just the ability to step into someone else's shoes yeah. and kind of get a glimpse of like what something might be like for them. And, um, and you know, it's like, it's, it's never exact, right? Like mm. it's an approximation mm -hmm. when we empathize. It's like, I think this might be what someone's feeling or thinking right now. Mm -hmm. And, and then in kind of taking that step, we, then can like respond to someone from that place or support yeah. someone from that place or take action from that place. Yeah. And so, I mean, it's, it's a very powerful tool and, and I think it's a tool that, you know, allows us to connect deeper. It allows us to like show up better um, for people. And, and, and I think like for the health of like relationships and community is like essential. When it comes to tangible art yeah. and kind of the rise of digital art, do you think that that is, um, do they feel like they're competing? Like to you in your opinion? Because there's something about, yeah, tangible things and being like, I went to this gallery and I bought this painting and I'm going to hang it in my apartment that I can't. I um, I do not feel like they're competing because no. I grew up. I cannot remember a time before things. technology. You oh that's right. right. So my relationship with technology has been is tangible. pretty constant. Like I right. yeah yeah exactly. It's it's tangible. So or I grew up also like in like video game culture and the kind of video games where you were building things and making mm. things and that was seen as like legitimate. Right. It's like the idea of like there was this like space and I'm thinking because I have a twin brother so we would spend a lot of time doing things together and I'm thinking mm -hmm. about how they're like the chat rooms and the areas or there's like your like like runescape was so big right and you're like essentially building this entire little kingdom and doing all of these different things and right like, you're, so all of these things that are so like oh my goodness this is so new this is so different I don't understand you can't live in this world this like, is the gaming industry is massive right absolutely massive and now it's entering mainstream and in, into different ways in the way that people would sell um they'd sell the things that they collected like digital collections of clothing or armor we're essentially doing the same thing but now artists are doing it and we're doing it outside of this video game world we're doing it outside of the centralized like mm. scape you yeah. know what i mean yeah, yeah so that's the world that i grew up in so this doesn't feel that like different. we're losing yeah, anything it, exactly i'm just like oh right. this is just expanding so in my mind if this was a market like i still think that the the art market itself is probably one of the most niche places mm. whereas this space is a lot bigger because a lot of people have figured out how to access it really quickly right whereas if i tell people about a secondary or um, a primary or secondary art market they're like i don't know what that means creatively salima in this in this moment in this time and space and sort of season in your life what are you giving yourself permission to do? 
Um, I think one of the things that just actually over the course of like the new year, I sort of had a bit of reflection about was just like, what's the excess that I can get rid of mm. in order to actually make um, more time and space for me to be able to explore creatively. Mm. Um, so that has entailed me actually stepping back from a role that was taking up quite a bit of time um, and that's in the works. Um, so it's easy to get stuck in things, right? And I think it takes a little bit of bravery sometimes to just be like, no, nah, I'm not going to do that anymore. Mm. That's not serving me and that's not, you know, the road I want to take. Mm. So, yeah, so for me, I think just like a little bit of navigating, like saying those no's to then find that, that pathway ahead. What am I creatively giving myself permission to do? Mm -hmm. um, in this moment... I think maybe going back to like visibility, I'm allowing myself to be visible or to have like titles. It's funny, a, like a constant anxiety of mine is that my Instagram titles are too specific, like the bio. Uh, no, it's same. <laughs> I can't, know what I'm relatable. Like, I'm like, like how you get to change what your account yeah. says. And right now mine says designer. I'm like, am I a designer? Yeah. yeah. Sometimes it says writer. I'm like this, I don't like this. It stresses me out. An identity crisis every single time. Yeah. yeah Maybe I what I'm doing you. creatively is allowing myself to have no idea what's going on. That is so, I love that. Yeah. I'm just focused on a couple projects. I'm not focused on so much as like, am I qualified to do this? These are my qualifications. These are my titles. This is what I'm doing. I'm like, this is what I'm working on. Mm. This is what I have to accomplish. This is just what I'm going to do. I've been hired for the role, so I must have been qualified in some capacity. Yes. Um, yes. Word. So that's what I'm doing. Okay. Aliyah Luma. Yes. Misha. What would you tell your 15-year-old self? Don't cry so much. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that. That thing. Um, yeah, she, she was pretty grounded, like my 15-year-old self. Okay. Yeah, maybe. So what would she tell you then? Yeah, she might like <laughs> sit me down and be like, hey. Salima. <laughs> I would tell my 15-year-old self that you won't live in Moose Jaw forever. Um, that the world is really interesting and vibrant and that you actually have the ability to make an impact. Um, um, I think I would tell her that life isn't going to turn out like the way that she expects it to. Mm. And some of the things that she thinks she needs to have happen and that will bring her happiness actually, you know, aren't the case. That happiness can come in so many different ways. Fulfillment can show up in surprising and unconventional manners you know mm -hmm. I, I feel like she she was grounded but she was a bit rigid and so I'd probably just try to flex her view a little bit and mm. kind of tell her to be open to like life fulfillment happiness joy like showing up in like unexpected and unconventional ways and to be cool with it if she can I'd probably tell my 15 year old self that there are more people clapping for you than there are people laughing at you despite what it feels like mm -hmm and that your style will improve <laughs> amazing yeah incredible such great insight it was so lovely talking to you great to talk to you congratulations <laughs> on the new role and all you're doing here and mm -hmm. yeah just like 
amazing mix of stuff that yeah you bring i'm trying to be you selima i'm trying to be you you are the perfect version of yourself but you know you might just need a little bit more i was gonna say is fur the thing that i need in my wardrobe (laughs) incredible fake fake fur for all the vegans out there right yeah oh yes 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 oh okay (laughs) we're gonna amazing we did it And I wonder, can I be the next up? No time to rest up. When you trying to be the best I was super self-guided when I started doing music. Since I was really young, I was like just obsessed with singing. For me, it was a lot more comforting to embrace pop music because I saw a lot more people who looked like me.